For the past couple months, we've been learning what it really means to be a follower of Christ. We've been talking about our mission as followers. Jesus made it clear that his mission was to seek and to save the lost. And if we're truly his disciples, it will be our mission too, because we do what our leader does. Until we begin to think like Christ, until his priorities become our priorities, and his mission becomes our mission, we're not true followers. A true follower will do what he did and work to complete the mission that he started because his mission was not complete when he left the earth. His part of the mission was complete. He's over, still overseeing the mission, but the mission hasn't changed. He, when he left, he said, I'm now turning it over to you. You must continue to do what I started. Although Jesus gave us a command to preach the gospel and make disciples, he never actually gave us a handbook on how to do that. I know we have this, but this is more of a theology. This is telling us how to live. Nowhere did he say, okay, this is the script to memorize. If you memorize these words and do it this way, then everybody's going to come saved. He didn't give us that because we need to approach everybody differently. People are different. If you look at how Jesus did things. He spoke differently, even though the message was the same, he adapted it to the crowd that he was with. When he was with fishermen, he talked about fishing. When he was with shepherds, he talked about sheep herding. Depending on who he was with, the message or the way he presented it changed. He didn't give us a step-by-step guide on what to say and how to say it. But he did give us a couple illustrations to describe the role that we are called to play in the mission. And that's what we're going to talk about today. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And that's because it has the lights. You can look, or if you're coming down into the valley, um, coming back to Yakima after a trip, you come down, you see all those lights. It can't be hidden. Unless the only way to hide it is to turn off the lights. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's how Eugene Peterson paraphrases that, that, that section of scripture in the message. He says, let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If, you, if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Jesus tells us that we, as his followers, should be salt and light in the world. Now, why he chose those two meta- why did he choose those two metaphors to describe our mission? First of all, they're so common and universal that 
everybody should be able to understand them. But there's so many different facets to those that we're going to spend a little time talking about those this morning. To understand what he's saying when he says we are salt and we are light, we need to think about what does salt do and what does light do. So let's talk about salt first. What can we learn from salt? What does salt do that is so important? Let's talk about a few of the primary things that salt does. The primary thing we use salt for today is seasoning. Salt spices things up. Now, I'm not talking about spices in Mexican food spicy. The salt spices things up. It makes things more palatable or makes them taste better. It is true that too much salt can be bad for our health. In fact, too much salt can kill us. We're going to talk about that briefly in a moment. But let's first about talk, what life, talk about what life would be like without salt. Who in here wants to eat corn on the cob without salt? Anybody? Now, some of you might be on a low-salt diet. You may have no other choice. You may have to, but if you had your choice, how many here would choose to have corn on the cob without salt? How about if you have a choice between salted or unsalted peanuts? Or salted or unsalted crackers? Have you ever tried unsalted sunflower seeds? I have. Because when I'm driving, I like to suck on sunflower seeds. They keep, they keep me awake. And, you know, when I used to do a lot of driving, um, you know, and I'd be on a whole eight to 10 hour road trip or something, you know, this is a lot of salt for me to be digesting. I need to cut back on that. So I decided I was going to get a bag of unsalted sunflower seeds. They lasted until the next exit. And I had to get the salted ones. Yuck! Those things were terrible. Salt is a wonderful seasoning. It enhances the flavor of all kinds of foods. Now, we usually think of the saltiness of salt, but salt actually helps bring out the goodness in other things. Did you know that adding a pinch of salt to your coffee grounds will take the bitterness out of the coffee? Maybe somebody say, I don't like coffee. Maybe you just try to put a little pinch of salt. It'll take the bitterness out. Maybe you would like coffee. Salt also brings out the sweetness of sugar. It's, you can't make something sweet or it's hard to make something sweet with sugar alone. Have you ever made your oatmeal and put sugar on it and noticed it wasn't sweet? And so you added more sugar and it still wasn't sweet. So you add more sugar. It's because you left out the salt. Salt actually makes the sugar do what it's supposed to do. And it takes a lot more sugar to be sweet if you don't have the salt. God intends for His followers to help bring out the sweetness in the world. Now, some of you are saying, there is no sweetness in the world. Maybe that's because we're not being the salt in the world. Because salt helps bring out the sweetness that was hidden until it meets the salt. If we are doing what we're called to do, we will make the world a sweeter place. The second, another thing that salt does is it creates thirst. Salt makes us thirsty. Did you know that a big reason that bars and restaurants serve peanuts, pretzels, chips, or other snacks free of charge and give you an unlimited supply of them is because they're trying to make you thirsty? It's not just because they're being nice. They have 
a system behind it. They are giving you salty foods because they know that if you eat the salty foods, you will be thirsty. And if you're thirsty, you're going to buy the beverages that they provide. And the biggest profit maker for a restaurant is not the food. It's the beverages. So they want you to drink more. So they give you salt to create a thirst. One of our jobs as followers of Christ is to create a thirst within people of the world. We're supposed to make them thirsty for the living water that only Christ can can provide. If we're doing what we're called to do, we will make people crave Christ. Another thing salt does, it preserves. Now, we don't think of this quality of salt as much anymore, but the people who were listening to Jesus, uh, when he he said it, this was actually one of the biggest uses for salt was to preserve foods. Frigidaire hadn't been invented yet. They didn't have a way of keeping food cool to preserve. They couldn't freeze it. So they would treat it with salt. One great example is beef jerky. If you leave some fresh beef out on the counter... How long is it going to take before that beef goes bad? But if you take that and dehydrate it and pack it full of salt, you can leave it out for days or even weeks, and it's still palatable because the salt preserves the meat. Another thing you may not know is adding a pinch of salt to your milk will actually make your milk last longer. It'll keep it from spoiling. So if you're close to the the expiration date, you say, man, I still got four more days and it's expiring tomorrow. If you add a little bit of salt, it will help extend the life of your milk. And I'm not saying dump a whole thing of salt in there, but a little bit of salt will help make that milk last longer. One of the things we should be doing as followers of Christ is to help preserve the world and keep sin at bay. In the spiritual sense, sin is like the bacteria or the mold that attacks food. As believers, we should be praying against and fighting against sin, not only in our own lives, but we should be actively fighting against sin and doing what we can to keep sin from invading society. We like to complain about how the world is going downhill. And we like to talk about the good old days, how things used to be, and I can't believe it's gotten to this. Well, maybe if we as believers were doing what we're supposed to do, the world would not be deteriorating like it is. Good example is going back to the book of Acts and seeing the impact that they had. Because they were being salt to the world. The world was actually converting to Christianity. More and more people were getting saved. And if we would get back to doing what they did and believing that we're salt and doing what God's called us to do, we could make a difference. We could turn the world around. Another thing that salt does, it softens or melts. Salt is used in water softeners to remove harsh minerals and make the water both better tasting and more usable. Now, I'm not a scientist, And I'm not going to try to explain the difference between hard and soft water in detail. I looked it up, and although it's kind of here, I don't know it well enough to explain it to you. So let me just say in the simplest terms, the softer the water is, the better it performs. 
Water coming out of anything usually has minerals. Now, some is pretty clean coming out of the tap, depending on where you live, or pretty clean coming out of the ground. But other water has more minerals because as the water has traveled through the, through the earth and through the, wherever it's going, it's picked up minerals along the way. The more minerals that are in that water, and I know we all think that mineral water is the best stuff to drink. Well, it might sometimes taste better depending on what minerals. There are some minerals in there that can actually make it terrible. You ever tried Prosser water, anybody? It's, that's, that, that's not good tasting water. It's got too much of something in it. But the more, the, the fewer minerals the water has, the better job it does in cleaning and doing the things that we think of water doing. Hard water will leave a film in your hair after it's washed. No matter how many times you rinse, you'll come out feeling like you haven't washed your hair. It's still dirty because the water is hard. Soft water, you'll come out with the squeaky clean. You ever try that? Rub your hair after you, after you wash it and it's actually squeaky and your hand kind of sticks. That's, that's what happens when you use clean, fresh, soft water to wash your hair. You can never get your windows completely clean with water that's not soft because it will leave behind residue. It'll leave water spots on your windows. Have you ever noticed that if you're someplace else other than your own house, it might take more or less shampoo or soap to get the same results? That's because wherever you're at has more minerals in the water. Or maybe you say, man, when I go there, I don't have to use as much soap. At my house, I got to use more. Then that means you have more minerals in your water than the water wherever you were. The amount of soap that it takes to clean something is actually determined by the hardness of the water. So if you really have hard water, it's almost impossible to get anything clean. We also use salt to melt ice. A believer that's doing what they're supposed to do can help melt cold hearts or help soften hearts to make them more receptive to the gospel of Jesus. We make them more receptive, more willing to receive, or more able to receive the cleansing that Christ offers them through the sacrifice that He made on the cross. There are many more things that salt does. We don't have time to talk about them this morning. Those are some of the primary things that I think Jesus had in mind when He was talking about being the salt of the earth. There are actually more than 14,000 different uses for salt. A lot of them we've forgotten about because we have other ways to do some of those things now, but, but throughout history, salt has been used for more than 14,000 different things. Some of those things are pretty common, some not so common. But suffice it to say that without salt, life on this earth would cease. Life could not exist, and you can look that up if you don't believe me. The world could not survive without salt salt. Your body cannot survive without salt. And again, some of you, maybe your metabolism has changed and your doctor's told you to cut back in the salt. There's too much salt, but you cannot survive without salt, period. Our bodies need salt even to do the healing that the body is designed to do and to function properly. We have to have salt. The world has to have salt. However, even though salt is necessary to maintain life, too much salt can kill. There are at least two bodies of water, only two that I can think of, but there may be some more, maybe some that haven't been discovered. There are at least two bodies of water on the earth, Salt Lake and the Dead Sea, that have so much salt that nothing can live in them. There's no plant life, there's no fish, 
Nothing lives because they're too salty. And although I've already talked about although a certain amount of salt is needed to make the human body function, too much salt in the diet will kill. A great way to keep weeds or anything else from growing in your yard or driveway is to sow it with salt. You don't have to use all those chemical fertilizers. You can go out and put salt down. Salt will keep things from growing. However, it can also keep the good things from growing if we use too much. You know, if we become too salty, we can actually cause more harm than good. We talked about Salt Lake and the Dead Sea. They're so salty that nothing can live. You know what? I have been in some churches. I'm not talking about this one. I have been in some churches where the people just come every week and get saltier and saltier and saltier, and that salt never has a place to go, and that's the problem with the Dead Sea and and Salt Lake. There's no outlet for that. So the salt keeps coming in. The salt never goes out, and I know some churches that have become so salty that they are dead. And when people come in, they don't find life. They come in, and they find death. Too much salt can kill. Part of the challenge of being the salt of the earth is knowing when and how much salt is needed. Salt, when used appropriately, brings life. But that same salt, if just thrown around haphazardly, can kill what little bit of life is present. The only thing we should be killing with our salt is sin. But how many times do we actually kill somebody? Somebody's spiritual, somebody's emotions, because we're throwing salt somewhere where it's not needed at the time, or we're throwing too much salt at the wrong time. We need to know how much and when it's appropriate to use that salt. When we're living a life in tune with God, we will be creating a spiritual thirst in people around us. We should be bringing out the best in people, softening the harshness of society, keeping the bacteria of sin at bay, and helping bring the purification and cleansing that Christ came to bring into the world. Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth. But he didn't leave it there. He said in verse 13, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. If the salt loses its saltiness, is it possible for salt to lose its saltiness? I got to thinking about that. that can salt lose its saltiness? How long can you leave it sitting in your cupboard before it's not Salt. And so I looked it up. And pure salt, it is impossible for it to ever go bad. Now, you might pick up salt in the store and it has an expiration date, says it's good until this date. That's because they've added other things to it. The biggest thing they add to our table salt is iodine. They add other chemicals to the salt. Those other chemicals they have added to the salt can go bad over time. But pure salt never loses its saltiness. The only way salt can stop being salty is if it gets diluted with too many other things. It's actually the dilution that comes in that causes it to lose its saltiness. In Jesus' day, salt was not refined as it is today. 
It was collected from around the Dead Sea, where the salt crystals were often mixed with other minerals. And since the actual salt was more soluble than the other impurities, rain could easily wash out the salt. And what was left behind looked like salt, but all the real salt had been washed out. And so people would think it was salt, and they'd go and try to use it for salt, but it wasn't. It was all the other things that had come into it. And therefore, it was worthless. If we get contaminated by the world, we can no longer be the salt that Jesus intended us to be. We can no longer make a difference because instead of us going out and cleansing the impurities, we have actually mixed the impurities in and it makes us worthless. Am I making any sense this morning? Are we understanding this a little better? Because some of we read things, what does that really mean? Very sadly, Christianity as a whole in today's age has lost its saltiness. George Barna, I talk about a lot, he does, does surveys, Christian, Christian man that lo- loves to survey and loves to do surveys in the churches and stuff. He says that the average Christian in the average church is almost indistinguishable from the rest of society. The fundamental moral and ethical difference that Christ can make in how we live is missing. If we are missing the thing that is supposed to make us different, if we have allowed the world to infiltrate us, how can we actually do what God wants us to do in the world? We need to make sure that we are maintaining the saltiness so we can perform that function. Our standard shouldn't be what the world's doing. Our standard should be God's holiness. God's character, God's values, how easy it is to be desensitized and sucked into this ungodly culture around us. God leaves us here in this world to make a difference. Real salt will affect anything it touches. Think about that a minute. Real salt will affect anything it touches because real salt reacts to what it comes in contact with. It melts ice. It takes the minerals out of water. It seasons the food. It makes the sugar sweeter. When real salt comes in contact with anything that is not salt, it changes it. So this last thought about salt before we move on, you may want to write this one down. Salt does no good when it's in the salt shaker with other salt. It must leave the rest of the salt and make contact with something that is not salt. Because how many believers just want to get together and be with the rest of the salt? It's so fun here in the salt shaker. But we weren't designed to stay in the salt shaker. If we really want to make a difference, we have to get out of the salt shaker and get out there in the world. And we have to scatter. Because how many ever put salt in something but forgot to mix it in? And you get that one bite. You say, man, this is disgusting. See, salt is not designed to be congregated together. Salt is designed to be scattered and to mix in, not to let those things change us, but we scatter to change the world. 
And in Acts, we read about the persecution that broke out against the church. And because of the persecution, the church scattered. But do you know what happened when they scattered? You can read it for yourself. It says, those, those who were scattered preached the gospel wherever they went. See, they would have been happy to stay in Jerusalem and have a mega church and come together and celebrate all the time together. And God said, nah, I can't have that. I've designed you to season the world. I've designed you to keep down, cut down the sin in the world, to cleanse the world. You need to get out of that salt shaker. I know you like just being together, but you need to scatter because only when you scatter can you begin to do what salt is designed to do. To properly season salt food, you sprinkle the salt over everything or you mix it in. You don't just want all the salt congregated in a clump. And when melting ice on a sidewalk, you spread the salt out over the entire sidewalk. I mean, you, you, you open your door and your sidewalk's icy and you know you're going to slip and fall. What do you do? Grab your salt shaker and just pour right there on the porch? You'll clear that one little spot. But what happens to the rest of the sidewalk? You got to go out and you got to spread it over everywhere where it's needed for it to do any good. It's not going to do any good to have a little melted spot in ice. You want to melt all the ice. So we need to scatter. We often get too comfortable here in the salt shaker. The world can be a scary place, but we'll never change the world by staying in the salt shaker. We must allow God to sprinkle us out into the world. So now let's take just a couple of minutes to talk about light. It's again appropriate to ask what Jesus, why Jesus chose this metaphor. We kind of understand salt now. What does light do? Well, the biggest thing light does is it exposes or expels the darkness. Most crimes are committed in the dark, or at least when nobody else is around. Why? Well, we talked about it several weeks ago. If we're really following Christ and people know it, they will probably act different when you're around. If you are truly following Christ and people know you're following Christ, they will probably act differently when you're there. Crimes will probably not be committed in your presence conversations will probably be a little different when you're there. And it's not necessarily that we've told them we want them to be different. I don't know how many times at the bus barn, I get there early, and so I go into the break room where everybody's there, and there's a conversation where I can hear all the chatter going on, and I walk into the room, and all of a sudden, everything's quiet. And they're thinking, what are we going to talk about now? We can't talk about that because Pastor Jerry's here now. I haven't asked them to be that way, but when I walk into the room, the climate changes. That's the way it should be if we're being the light. When the light walks in, darkness flees. Darkness runs. Darkness cannot survive in the presence of light. However, too many times, believers or those who call themselves Christians can go anywhere in the world and nothing ever changes. You know why? I brought an illustration this morning. Jesus said, we are the light of the world. 
Well, in actuality, we're not the light. Because see, in another place it says Jesus is the light. We are not really the light. We are the bearers of the light. We contain the light. The light is Christ. We are the vessel that contains the light. But unless we choose to let the light come forth, it's not going to do anybody any good. It stays inside. And too many of us, even though we have the light of Christ contained in us, we refuse to let it out. Now on Sunday mornings, we let it out and we shine the light around. But, you know, it does a little bit here, but it doesn't do a whole lot because this room is already full of light. For light to make a big difference, it needs to go where there's an absence of light. The flashlight has everything it needs to produce light. But unless the switch is turned on, it does no good. And if the flashlight is going to continue to give light, it must occasionally stop to recharge. This is a rechargeable flashlight. It's really cool. I just plug it in to my phone charger and it recharges itself. But if I don't, continue, don't keep this charged, it will stop giving Light. Some flashlights, you have to put new batteries in there. And if the light is not used, did you know it still will run out? Have you ever gone to get a flashlight that you haven't used and you know it was working and it doesn't work? Batteries will go dead just sitting there. You have to continue to keep the shirt. Or if you're using them, they will go dead. If they just sit, sometimes they'll just leak and then they'll be, they'll be worthless too. We need to make sure we're constantly being recharged but then we also need to be giving out the light that is put within us. Otherwise, it does no good. So let's pretend that this flashlight, or that what's in this flashlight is Jesus. I have possession of Christ. But I get to decide whether or not I'm going to turn Him on for the world to see. God does not issue concealed carry permits for His light. His purpose or His will is that we would all be carrying the light of Christ openly. We all have it. But too many of us say, I want the small version. I want one I can keep in my pocket. I want a light that people don't have to see. Jesus, uh -uh, uh -uh, uh uh you want the biggest one you can get. And you don't want to keep it off. You want to keep it on. You want people to see that light. There is it's not supposed to be. There's a lot of it going on. But there's not supposed to be any concealed carry. That's what he said. You don't hide it under something. The purpose of light is to shine for the world to see. We need to stop concealing the light. We need to let the light shine. Had our grandson over last night. And one of the first things he did after mom and dad left was he went to our, everybody has a junk drawer, right? We have a junk drawer. I think he's pretty clean, so it's not totally a junk drawer. Um, it's, it's fairly, fairly neat. But he, he went there. He knows we keep a flashlight in that drawer. So one of the first things he did, he went and he grabbed the flashlight out of the drawer. And he turned it on and he started walking around the house with the light. And he didn't want to shine it in the living room because we had the lights in the living room. He was looking for the bedrooms and the bathrooms and places that didn't have light. And he wanted to go in and shine the light. And he went and did that for a little bit. And he came back. He said, Grandpa. Where's the big light? 
I said, well, I said, you have a light. He goes, yeah, but I want the big light. Because he knew that I keep a big flashlight up in the closet. So I went and I got the big light for him. And he took the big light and he was so proud of his big light. He goes, wow, this is a lot of light. He goes, here, Grandpa, I'm going to use the big light. You can have the little light. And he wanted me to follow him around. Well, it wasn't long and he wasn't happy with that because he knows there's supposed to be another little light. Now, I don't know where, what, what happened to it. I bought, a bunch, I bought several of these. I bought this big one and I bought four of these um, with the purpose of putting one in each of our cars. We have three vehicles. I was going to put one in each vehicle so we'd have them in case we ever got stranded. And then this one was our, was our home flashlight. And I got two of them put in the cars and the other one I never got in the car. So we had two of these in the house and I'm not sure what happened to the other one. Keaton probably buried it. No, he probably hid it somewhere. But he knew there was supposed to be another one. He says, where's the other little light? And I said, well, you got a light and I got a No, we need to find the other light. So then it was a mission to go around with our lights and look everywhere. He's going over, is it here? Is it over here? He looked in the toilet. Nope, it's not in the toilet. Nope, not in the sink. He looked under the couch. He's looking everywhere for the, for the light. And after looking for about 30 minutes of light, I said, hey, Keaton, I know where we haven't looked yet. Let's go look in the car because I knew we had another one in the car. So we went out to the car and we got in the car and I opened the glove box of Mindy's car and I said, Look in there. He goes, there it is. And so he grabbed the other light. He says, okay, grandpa, I'll use the big light and you can use both little lights. That way we'll have more light. Why can't we have that? I mean, Jesus said the faith of a child. We should be like Keaton. We're not happy with a little light. We want as much light as we can get. And we say, God, I want to carry with both hands. I don't want to be a little light. I want to let as much of your light shine as I possibly can. So what does light do? Well, we talked about it. Light exposes darkness. A second thing light does is it guides. Airports use lights to show pilots where to land. Lights are used to draw people to a destination. Or to event, you have the spotlights going in the air to draw attention. Hey, look over here. This is where the action is. When we properly display the light, we will act as guides leading people to God. Too often, we're shining the light on ourselves. Hey, look at me. Aren't I cool? Well, no, the light should be pointing the direction to God or shining on God. We like to brag about what we've done and talk about what we've done, but we need to get all those conversations back to look at what I've done with the help of God. Look at what God's helped me to do. The light is to attract people to Jesus, to guide people to Him. Some of our light may not be as bright as somebody else's light. But all of us can make a difference. And you know what? The, dark, the deeper the darkness, the more a little light looks like a bright light. We can all make a difference. If we're in the darkness, we can make a difference. A bigger light can shine farther and light up a bigger area. But even a small light can be seen in the darkness. But just like the salt, and we've already talked about it a little bit, a light doesn't do much good when it's in the presence of other light. For a light to do what it was designed to do, it must go where there is an absence of light. Jesus made it clear that our purpose is to shine where people can see the light. Those people are not here. 
We think if we can just get this church bright, people are going to come. You know, it doesn't work that way. People don't come here just because we're bright. We have to go out there and meet them where they're at. And then they come to join with us to get recharged, re-energized, so they can then go out and be the light in the world. This is not where, well, the light should shine here. It should shine everywhere we're at. But we're not going to change the world by letting our light shine here. We only change the world by letting our light shine in the world. If no one can see the light, what good will it do? We can be the brightest flashlight in the world. But if we're not in the darkness, it'll make no difference. The light must be in close proximity to where it's needed in order to be effective. It's impossible to be salt and to be light in the world if we have no contact with the world. When Jesus said we are salt and we are light, he was giving the message that we need to be out there. That's where it happens. So the question is, how are we doing as salt and light? Jesus said, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, then you're worthless. You know, we don't buy salt just to put it in a jar and look at it and say, oh, look how pretty the salt is. I know some of us buy fancy lights. Oh, that's a really attractive. But that's not the purpose of the light to look at and say, look how nice it is. We buy them to perform a function. Jesus leaves us here to make a difference. And we've talked about this many times. Wouldn't it be nice if once we came to Christ, he just immediately took us out of here, took us to heaven, said, okay, you're mine now, come live with me? He doesn't. And he doesn't for a reason. Because he needs us here to be salt and light. And if we're not being salt and light, he says we're worthless. As Eugene Peterson said, we might as well be thrown in the garbage can because we're not doing anything anyway, so get rid of us. Now, he's not going to do that. But he might as well. His purpose for us as followers is to be salt and light. How are we doing in that category? You can ask yourself, how am I doing? Have I lost my saltiness? Have I allowed too many impurities to come and mix in with me? Because if we have too much of the world in us, it doesn't matter that we have a little bit of salt. It's not going to do any good because we've been diluted too much by the world. So some of us might need to say, you know, I need to get rid of those impurities. God, come get those impurities. Take them out of me because I want to be pure salt. Or are we simply saying, man, I just can't wait to get back together with God's people. And it's great to be together with God's people. But being here is not making a difference. That's the mission field. That's where the salt is needed. What do we need to do? Or what do we need to change in our own lives? And again, we can't change on our own. That's where we rely on the Holy Spirit. Say, God, I realize I'm not doing what you called me to do. I'm not being the salt. I'm not being the light. God, I need your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power. When we have him inside, then we can do. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, we can't do it anyway. But then we have to choose to allow the Holy Spirit to shine through us to the world. 
So what do I need to do? Or what do I need to allow God to change in me so that I can do what He's called me to do? Because in order to be a true follower, we can talk about it all we want, but if we're not doing what He did, if we're not doing what He's commanded us to do, then we're not a true follower after all. He gave us a mission. How well are we fulfilling that mission?